Take your Bibles and turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We'll be reading in verses 22 to 33. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace and your kindness towards us. Lord, we pray that you will help us to understand this passage and apply it to our lives. We know that your word is given so that it can point us to you. And we're so thankful, Lord, that you reveal yourself to us through your word. Help us now, Lord. Help me as I proclaim the truth that I may proclaim it exactly as you have written it through these men thousands of years ago perfectly. We love you, Lord. We trust you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, all. Good to see everybody this morning. So, what does walking wisely look like in this fallen world? What does walking wisely look like in this fallen world? You know that our section started back in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. It was all about the wise walk. Us walking worthy of our calling the fifth of the walks, walking wisely. In verse 15, we found that we should be careful how we walk, that we should not walk as foolish, but as wise, and that we should walk not ignorantly, but as informed, understanding that the will of the Lord, which is who Christ is and what he's all about, and that we should walk not drunk with wine, but filled with the Spirit. And as the control of the Spirit works through our lives, we then produce results. And the results are what we talked about last week. The results are we will worship. We will praise God. We will sing. We will exalt God. We won't exalt God just some of the time and only on Sunday. We will worship and we will praise and we will exalt Him all the time because the Spirit of God is working through us and the Word of God is richly dwelling within our souls. 
as Christ is first and foremost in our thoughts, we then worship because the Spirit works through us and we exalt Christ. Not only do we worship, but we also thank God. We give thanks. We are grateful people. Unlike the world that is caught up with complaining, we are the thankful people. We're the people that understand that all that we have is good. I happen to uh, use that line again at Chick-fil-A. Uh, last night I was going through the line and the lady said, Well, how are you doing today? And I said, Better than I deserve. And she looked at me with that, What? That strange look, and as she contemplated what I had just said, she proceeded to say, well, I don't think so. You probably deserve all you have. And I thought to myself, no, I don't. I'm blessed. I'm getting Chick-fil-A. And I'm saved. I'm right with God. I deserve judgment. It doesn't make sense. But we're thankful people, right? We're grateful people. Why are we grateful? Because Christ Jesus came into the world to die for sinners like us. And so we're thankful. And not only are we thankful, we are also submitting to the authorities that Christ, our sovereign Lord, has placed in our life. We submit to one another in the fear of Christ, knowing that He is Lord and He's ordained these authorities. So today we get to dive in. We get to dive in and look at the practical examples that Paul gives of submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. The first example that he gives is found in our passage today of 522 to 33. And that example is of wives submitting to their husbands and ultimately husbands loving their wives in their role as authority. We'll see that as we go along. So there's first wives submitting to their husbands and husbands loving their wives in the roles that God, our Lord, Christ, has established. Second, next uh, two weeks from now, I was going to do 522 to 33, but it didn't happen this morning, so we'll do as far as we can. Okay? And then the following week, we'll do children obeying your parents and parents directing their children. And then the following week after that, we'll do slaves and masters and how all that plays out. So what does walking wisely look like? Let's look at a practical example. The fruit or the result of being a spirit-filled follower of Jesus is revealed in the lives of wives and husbands fulfilling their roles that God our Lord has established. As we fulfill our roles, we show off Christ, the one who is Lord over all. Now, in our passage, it's often used to talk about this one practical example of husbands and wives and the role. Is that the main theme of this passage? Well, like I asked in the first service, let's go ahead and do it again and see how you do. How many of you have heard a message preached on Ephesians 5, 22 to 33 on marriage? Please raise your hand. It's almost unanimous. This is a marriage passage, right? This is a passage about husbands and wives, right? No. It's not. What? Yes, it's there, but it's not the main idea. It's not the main theme. You say, you've got to be kidding me. Pastor Mike, I've heard numerous messages from this. It's not the main idea. How do I know? Well, y'all know what a simile is. 
How many of you know what a simile is? They use like or as, right? Okay, a simile says this is like that. The man on TV is like a strong horse. He's strong as a horse. The man is strong as a horse. Well, I kind of did a little illustration for you here to kind of give you an idea of what it's like. I don't know if you can see it. Some of you can, some of you can't. Sorry about that. But ultimately, it's a horse pulling a fire engine. Two horses pulling a fire engine. For That's the way it was back in the 1800s. So I'm going to read you this paragraph, okay? And there's a simile in it, okay? And I want you to see that the way this structured, this paragraph is somewhat structured, is exactly how Paul structures his comparison also, his simile in this passage. And it'll come clear as you see it. The title of the paragraph, by the way, is Strong as a Horse. Strong as a Horse. Here we go. You ready? The man on TV was as strong as a horse. Horses are very strong animals. They can pull thousands of pounds. Horses were used to pull fire engines back in the late 1800s. Two horses could pull over 17,000 pounds in a full sprint to the scene of a fire. End quote. What is the paragraph about? A man who's strong as a horse? Or is it about horses that are strong? Very interesting, right? It's what's emphasized. Obviously, it appears that the main idea, the main focus is what? On the horses. Well, that's kind of what Paul does here. He does the same thing. You're getting to this section and you're thinking, give me some practical applications. I need five steps to have a good marriage. I need that pragmatic message on how to be a good wife, how to be a good husband. I need that five steps. And what does he do? He talks about Jesus. <laughs> he talks about Jesus. He talks about the church. He talks very little about wives and husbands and a whole lot about the comparison for the wives and the husbands to look at. The emphasis is on Christ and the church more than wives submitting to their husbands, husbands loving their wives. Very important that you understand this. In an interesting twist, the passage is applicable, applicable, <laughs> applicable to both married and single people. Hear me, hear me. If you're single, this passage is very applicable to you. If you're married, this passage is very applicable to you. The answer is... Christ is for everyone. <laughs> and for those that have repented and believed in Christ and trusted in him, he is your Lord and your Savior. You will see this and it will drive the way you live. You don't need five steps for how to have a better marriage. You need to know Christ more. Then your marriage will do fine. That's what Paul makes the point. If you know Christ and you understand who Christ is, you will have a great marriage. If you know Christ, you will be satisfied if you're not married because Christ is the Lord over marriages. If you're not married, it's because Christ doesn't want you to be married at this second. Wow. 
So either way, this passage is for you. Because it's about Christ. That's the point of the passage. Notice how it looks. Just looking up at the passage, you can't really see all the details because it's really small. But can you see the yellow? The game, see the yellow. Okay, the yellow is highlighting all the passages or, or verses that ha are talking about Jesus, the simile. Okay? The ones that aren't are talking about husbands and wives and their responsibilities. If you notice, most of it is what? Highlighted. <laughs> Which means it's mostly about the strong horse. It's mostly about Jesus. More than even the husband's and the wife's role. Notice also at verse 31. Look at verse 31. In verse 31 it says this. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. Anybody know where that's quoted from? Genesis chapter 2 verse 24. Okay, so it's obviously talking about how God has established marriage and that the, the, the man should leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one, one flesh, right? That's what the passage is talking about back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, right? Is that what Paul's talking about? No. Really? Yeah. Look at the next verse, verse 32. He says, this mystery is great. Wait a second, Paul. There's no mystery in husband, a man leaving his father and mother and becoming joined to his wife and then becoming one flesh. That's not a mystery to me. Is that a mystery to you? It is for Paul. He says, this mystery is great. But... I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. So he's applying, he's applying this concept of marriage to what? The ultimate relationship, which is what? Christ and the church. And he's saying that one flesh union that was established in marriage and that is established by marriage is ultimately a picture of a bigger relationship, a more important relationship, the relationship of Christ to the church, which is the predominant relationship. It is the primary relationship. Your relationship with Christ supersedes any other relationship that you have. And that union that we have with Christ dictates and determines how we live out all other relationships. If you're having a problem submitting to the authorities in your life, the problem is not the authority. The problem is your heart submission to Christ. Did you catch that? Ultimately, and not about authority, it's about my heart. This mystery is great. There's a union that's Christ and the church, and our relationship with Christ determines how we live. We'll see him talk about this more. Understand that this passage is ultimately talking and developing what was already established by Paul in the first three chapters of Ephesians, right? Turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 1. Look at it. Look how Paul in chapter 5 just develops what he said in chapter 1. He already said it in 1. He already gave it to us in 119. Remember when he was talking about the power of God on display in Christ? 
He says in 119, And what is the surpassing greatness of the power towards us who believe? Paul is praying that the people will understand this great power that was towards us in Christ. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might which he brought about in Christ. When he, that is God, raised Christ, him, from the dead and seated Christ at the right hand of the, in the heavenly places. Now I want you to notice the language of this very closely. Listen closely. Watch. Far above all rule and authority and domin- power and dominion. And every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he, God, put all things in subjection. Same word, hupotasso, from Ephesians chapter 5. And he, God, put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him, who? Christ, as head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all, who controls all in all. What is this? This is Christ's ruling authority, his position of sovereign authority over all things. This is the place Christ is right now. Who is sovereign over the world? Christ. All things are where? Under his feet. He's sovereign. He's the authority. Right? And he's the head, which is the authority over what? The body, which is Christ, or which is the church, right? So the church is under or subjected to who? Christ. Everybody see this? So then when we get to Ephesians chapter 5, he's going to mention head again, and lordship again, and Christ's position Very important. As we understand the will of God, which is Christ is sovereign authority, we then what? Walk wisely. We're controlled by the Spirit as the Word of Christ dwells richly within our hearts. We worship. We thank. We submit to one another. Those that God, through Christ, who is Lord, we fear Him, so therefore we submit. Does everybody understand this? So we come to our passage. So, when we get to Ephesians chapter 5, expository preaching is all about unfolding the text as the author intended it to mean. Some accuse expository messages of being theological and doctrinally strong, but applicationally weak. You don't get enough application in expository sermons, is the accusation. I would argue the opposite is true. The opposite is true. Expository preaching tells you exactly what the Word says, and therefore it has all the authority behind the Word. And the word then has its proper effect on the hearts of the people. And it actually produces the application better than topical messages that tell you five steps to have a good marriage. You know why? Because it goes to this instead of outside external actions. Here you go. Listen to me close. 
You want a great marriage, you better have Christ as your Lord. If Christ is your Lord, then guess what? Your marriage will be okay. But if Christ is not Lord and you are not submitted to him, your marriage is going to be a disaster. Even if I give you five love languages for you to communicate with your spouse. I can give you all the love languages in the world on how you can understand your spouse a little better and you can communicate a little better, but if your heart is not submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, it will be all for naught. Here's what I get from the... I, I want to give... I know I have a little bit extra time, so I'm going to do it. Y'all have all heard the five love languages thing. You've heard about the guy that says, you know, you need to speak to your spouse in their love language. One of the lines in the book is, is that when your love tank is empty, you need to ask your spouse to fill it. Communicate with me your love, my love language. Well, my love language is words of affirmation. So, honey, I need you to tell me how much you love me. What is that? Fleshly sin. Really? Yes. My love tank is full. It's overwhelmingly full with Jesus. I don't need anything. I have Him. I'm satisfied with Christ. If my fleshly desires control the way I think, the problem is with me, not her. Christ is Lord. He's sovereign over my position. I have all that I need for life and godliness through a knowledge of Him. That's why the passage is all about who? Jesus. Not me. We all are all so often bound up with our pursuit of life, we fail to truly comprehend where life is found. People are often fixed on becoming independent then married, then having children, then being independently wealthy, then having lots of friends, and good health. And those are the things we define as life. We strive for these things continuously. We even look for those passages in the Bible that kind of fulfill those things, that talk about Him giving us our prosperity. And we think to ourselves, well, that means that God wants me to be prosperous and so we twist the scriptures to make them say what we want them to say when in fact what God wants us to do is say Christ is all I need and be satisfied with him that's what God says that's what this passage says Christ is all you need nothing else he's enough now submit to his lordship The main thing is knowing God and His Son. That is eternal life, isn't it? 
to know God and His Son whom He sent, John 17. Today we're going to see our relationship with Christ controls everything, including our relationship with our spouses, if God ordains for us to have a spouse. If God does not ordain for us to have a spouse, then we are still okay. Because the relationship that is in marriage is also the relationship outside of marriage with Christ. It always is the same. It's consistent. I got good news for you singles. This passage is just as much for you as a married person. Put simple, our relationship with Christ controls how we treat those whom God has ordained for us to be in relationship with. Did you hear me? I, I, I'm going to say it again. You really get this. This is the main point. Please understand it. Our relationship with Christ controls how we treat those whom God has ordained for us to be in relationship with. That's a big one. It's a full... I got it written down, don't I? There it is. Our relationship with Christ controls how we treat those whom God has ordained for us to be in relationship with. This is what the passage is about. So, it breaks down into this way. Let's look at the outline. Here you go. First, there's the wife's role. Wife's role, submission to her head in verses 22 to 24. Then second, the husband's role, sacrifice for his bride and his body. The body, verses 25 to 32. And then, at the end, there's a summary in digression. So in other words, he kind of backs up and says, but do this. So it's all about Christ. It's all about Christ, but do this. That's how you could summarize the message. It's summarized beautifully in verse 31. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. That's kind of the, okay. But our main idea is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's how we have to think. So let's examine our relationship with Christ and how it controls our relationship with our spouses. First, the wife's role. The wife's role. Submission to her head. Notice verse 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of, his, of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands and everything. All right. So do you see in verse 22, everybody's got your Bible, you're looking at your Bible. Is it in italics? Is it in italics? Be subject. Is it in italics? It should be in italics. If it's in italics, what does that mean? It means that it's not in the original Greek manuscripts. It was added by the translators in order to give the sense of what it means even though it didn't really use that word. Now think about this for a second. Okay, the ladies in the room, the women in the room are like, especially the married women in the room are saying, yes! It doesn't really say be subject. It doesn't really mean it. It doesn't say it. It says, wives, to your own husbands. I get to fill in the blank. Nope. Because context, 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 the greatest of these is context. 
The context dictates what he means by the passage. And if we look at verse 21, what do we see? Verse 21, And being subject to one another in the fear of Christ, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. Hmm, I guess they filled it in right with that italics, huh? It's just assumed. It's obvious. It's implied. How do women worship, praise, thank? How do wives worship, praise, thank, and submit to the Holy Spirit working through them? As they dwell in Christ, they submit to their husbands. It's a result. It's an automatic. It's a given. By the way, it's, it can't be forced. What do I mean by it can't be forced? Well, I can't make, I can make somebody bow down and do it, but inside their heart they can be grumbling the whole way and it will be what? Useless and it will be sin. You can't force somebody to have a heart attitude that wants to submit to their husband. So along those lines, men, don't use it as a beat stick. If you're using it to force your wife to submit to you, you've got a problem, not her. We appeal to the authority of Scripture and let God be the authority, not us. Because after all, the passage is about who? Christ! It's not about me! Boy, does our flesh like to use it, though, doesn't it, man? Be careful, men. Be careful. At the same time, ladies, you should want to submit to your husbands. Why? Because the ultimate authority is not your husband, it's the Lord, as we will see. So your relationship with Christ determines how you relate to your husband and how you respond to him. The results of being a spirit-filled woman... A wife is to submit to their own husbands. By the way, that isn't all women submit to all men. It's wives submit to their own husbands. The motivation for wives is submitting to their husbands is ultimately submitting to the Lord. Notice it says, as to the Lord. Their relationship with Christ dictates this and drives them. There's a very, very important truth here for us to understand. And acknowledge the Lordship of Christ controls who and when and how we act towards those God has put in authority over us. Christ, my relationship with Him, if I understand He is Lord, then I will submit to any authority that He does what? Puts over me. Right? Because who am I ultimately submitting to? Him. Got to understand this. So when you look at your husband and you say, man, he isn't worthy of submitting to. You've forgotten something. You've forgotten that ultimately your authority that you're submitting to is Christ, not your unworthy husband, by the way. Don't wait for your husband to be worthy of your submission to start submitting. Because guess what? All men in the room are unworthy. I didn't hear an amen. I didn't mean the women. <laughs> but doesn't that fit well? Let me ask you a question. Ladies, are your husbands worthy of your submission? 
Oh, nobody wanted to answer it. Come on, ladies. Let's, I'm going on the deep end now. I'm jumping in. Really jumping in. Sally, I'm going to put you on the spot. Is Bob worthy of your submission? Because <laughs> he's a really nice guy. He's a sinner. Just like me. See, if it was based on his worthiness, when he acts unworthy, I no longer have to submit. Whoa, I know I'm blowing some minds now, but you need to think on this. The worthy one is Jesus. Church, the Bible tells you that you are to submit to the elders in the church. Is it because me and Bob and Stephen and Mark are worthy? No. It's because the chief shepherd has made us under-shepherds. Beloved, this is not about gaining control and worthiness. It's about Christ's glory and His worthiness. But if you're in a world that hates God, will wives submitting to husbands ever make sense? No. It will make no sense at all. You have a problem submitting to your husband. The problem is really your relationship with Christ. It's not the husband. Hmm. Now, as mentioned last week, this doesn't give husbands a right to mistreat their wives, correct? What is the worst possible scenario is for a person who is in authority to misuse his authority to pound on somebody under his authority. That person should have a millstone tied around their neck and thrown into the deepest part of the sea. And the just God one day will have his just wrath. So fear Christ. Fear Christ if you mistreat your wife. However, the wife is still under the authority of the husband. We know this from 1 Peter chapter 3, that the, the husband can be won without a word by the behavior of the wife. For the husband that is disobeying the word. What was this? Why was it this way? It was this way to show off Christ. For as we persevere and submit to authorities that even mistreat us, we show off the gospel, which is Christ, who came into the world and submitted himself to authorities that he was dying for. He's the only one worthy. Now, being under an authority in our society is called oppression. 
That's what it's called. If you're a wife that submits to your husband, you're an oppressed person. You know what that is? Hogwash. That is garbage. That is sin. Why is it sin? Because the Bible says it. To submit to somebody does not make you oppressed. If that were true, Christ was oppressed by the Father. Did the Father sin against the Son? Of course not. God's Word in marriage relationships states clearly, the husband is the head of the wife. At this point, we can argue all we want, but the head is the position of authority. And you know why we know this? Because Ephesians chapter 1 just said it. And he put all things. He put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all, who controls all in all. Christ is working through his church. He's the head. He's the authority. He's the subject. He, he's the one that is the sovereign. And now in 523, Paul repeats this. Notice he says, as Christ also is the head of the church. He says it again. So, if we have a problem with submission, ultimately the problem is with Christ's authority. His lordship. That's it. Now, as I mentioned, Paul makes it clear, the primary authority, however, is not the husband as much as Christ himself. And again, I can't stress this enough, and I want you to listen. If the Think back to that first original simile. Think back to it for a second. The man on TV is strong as a horse, right? But what's the most important, what was the most important, or the, the main idea of the passage? It was talking mostly about Horses, strong horses, right? Here, it's very similar. The husband is head of the wife. So the wife should submit to the husband. But the main idea is because Christ is sovereign. He's the Lord. He's the head of the church. He's the one that's up here. So you do it because of Him more than even the worth of Him. Does that make sense? That's the whole point of the passage. And to make this clear, Paul takes and then identifies Christ as the preeminent one. Now, here's where it gets super tricky, and you have got to really pay attention. I said this like 60 times in the first service. This is the time when everybody starts to check out. And if you're not really paying attention, you're going to miss one of the most important details of this whole passage. Because what it does is it takes and does this for Jesus. It says, Jesus is here, and he's amazing. No, he's really amazing. So, submit to him. Therefore, submit to your husband. This is what he does. Watch. Look at it. Verse 23. As Christ also is head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands and everything. You see that little passage there? 
It's very, 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 very important. Two crucial elements need to be, observations need to be made from this, these two little verses. Look at them. Here they are. One, notice the emphatic, the emphatic pronouns. He, himself, being the Savior of the body. Who is that? Jesus. Jesus. And the way it's worded in the Greek is it's a, it's a pronoun that's moved to the front with the emphasis on it to make the point. It's about Jesus at this point. At this point, it's really only about Jesus. It's about Jesus at this point. It's not about who? The husband. It's not about the husband. He's taking a break. He's emphasizing Jesus over the husband. He's saying, Jesus over the husband. Submit. Why submit to your husbands? Why? Because Jesus is what he's saying here. He himself, Jesus himself, is the Savior of the body. And then the second observation is to notice the contrast. But. You see that? But. If you, if you have King James Version of the Bible, New King James Version of the Bible, raise your hand. ESV. A few. Nasby, who's using your New American Standard? Good for you. This crowd, I like this 11 o'clock crowd. This 11 o'clock crowd. There was half of them in these other camps. Now, just kidding. Just kidding. you. Those other versions got it wrong on this one. Got it wrong. It's not, it doesn't say but. It says now or however or therefore. It should say, but. Why? Because there's a very important distinction that Paul is making at this point. He's saying, Jesus has done something, it is someone that takes preeminence and makes him preeminent over why women should do what they're supposed to do in their role. What is the preeminence, the thing that makes him distinct from the man's position as head? We're head like him. He's head of the church. We're head of our wives. But there's a distinction. He himself is savior of the body. But, what's that mean? Well, here's what that means. Your husband is not your Savior. He's not your Deliverer. Christ is. Christ is the Deliverer. Christ is the one that has set us free from sin and death and hell. Christ is the reason, the motivation for all that we do. Why do I submit ultimately to Jesus? Because Jesus Christ died on a cross to pay for my sin. Why do I submit to governing authorities in my life? I submit to governing authorities in my life because Christ Jesus is the Savior of the body and the Lord who has established that government authority to be over me. And so I submit to that governing authority because of what Christ is and what Christ has done and because of who Christ is. If you have a problem submitting to authorities, the problem is not the authority 
on our level, it's the authority in heaven. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Has he delivered you from your sin? Have you turned? Have you trusted in him? If you have, he is your Lord. And if he calls you to submit to an authority in your life, you say, yes, sir, I will do it. Hmm. That's what Paul's saying. Jesus himself is the savior of the body. He's the deliverer. He's worthy of full obedience by the church. In effect, because Jesus himself is the church's savior, so therefore we should submit to him. He is our Lord and Savior, right? And so we do what he says. He delivered all who believe in him by his death. Now, this is not ultimately about submitting to the husband because of their worth. And I want to go back to that. And the reason is, is because, think about this for a second. What makes Jesus worthy of submitting to our husbands if the, for the wife? What is it about Jesus that makes it worthy, that he's worthy that we should submit to governing authorities? What is it? It's that he's the savior of the body. He's my savior. He's my Lord. So therefore I want to submit. Because he put that in place. Because everything's been put under his feet. I hope you're getting it. Are you getting it? I, I, I almost sound like a broken record, don't I? But it's so important that you understand this. The contrast but further developed that truth. Yes, we submit to authorities in our life, but not because our husbands are our Savior. It's because Jesus is our Savior and our Lord. So you say, well, I'm not married. How does this apply to me? The same way. Jesus is your Savior. Jesus is Lord. So submit to any authority that God has over you. You say, well, I don't have many authorities over me. Do you work? Do you have a boss? Oh, you do. So you have an authority over you. But my boss is unworthy of my obedience. Oh. It's not about the worthiness of the boss. It's about the worthiness of the Savior. You go to work, you serve your boss for the glory of Christ. Because you're submitting to Christ. Just like a woman that submits to her husband, a wife. It's the same thing for kids. This is why we're trying to constantly teach them what? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Savior. Therefore, submit to Daddy. Why? Because God has put Daddy in your life for your protection and your good. Now, I may not submit to my wife, but I have authorities over me. He has established, and because he is my Savior and Lord, I ought to be subject to these authorities. Who is over me? 
Who's over you? Local authorities, community authorities, police, state authorities, federal authorities. We got lots of people authorities over us, don't we? I'll never forget it. I was in California at seminary. You know, I don't know about you guys, but there are times when authorities put in rules that just don't jive with me. Couldn't, I couldn't quite comprehend that authority and that decision and that law. One of the laws was put on your seatbelt. You know, for most of my life, Bill, how about you? Most of your life, you didn't have to wear a seatbelt. It wasn't required. And then all of a sudden, they said, you got to wear a seatbelt. And if you don't wear a seatbelt, you're going to get a fine. Now, often they put all these little rules that say, well, kind of, you can wear it, and if you're trying, it's okay, and they kind of make the law, and then they kind of enforce the law, and then finally they say, it's a law. Well, I just happened to be one of those people that didn't always click my seatbelt. It just wasn't natural for me, so I pull out of my apartment going to the seminary with my kids in the back seat, or with Andrew in the back seat only, and and Brenda, and the lights come on. And of course, what's Andrew say? Daddy, why are you pulling over? What's on, what's up? And the police officer walks up and says, sir, you didn't have your seatbelt on. I did by the time he got up to the window. <laughs> I said, yes, sir. I didn't obey that law. I will take my consequence. I said, okay. Walked back, wrote me an $80 check, and said, thank you, sir. I learned my lesson. I learned my lesson. Click it, or you get a ticket. Because that's the law. And the same would be true for anything that the government says that does not cause us to sin. Right? Now, it just happens to be that at this moment, as Paul, as Paul, I just called you the Apostle Paul. <laughs> Bob, I just called you the Apostle Paul. As Bob was praying, he prayed for John MacArthur's church. And why did he pray for it? Because here's the situation with their church right now, and I think it's a good illustration for us to think on. Here's the illustration. The governor and this county of L.A. said, you cannot meet. You cannot come together. You cannot. And if you do, and you sing, you could get $1,000 fines per person, and the pastor can go to jail. What did they do? They met. They met. And then they filed in court. Please! Be reasonable. They, apply, they filed with another branch of the government, hoping that the judicial branch would intercede and say, executive branch, you're out of your mind. How the executive branch is actually uh, writing laws, I still can't comprehend. But it's happening all the time. So they appeal to the judicial branch. And what happens with the judicial branch? The ju judicial branch, which by the way was sovereignly put there, wasn't it? said, okay, you can meet. We'll do a temporary stay. Go ahead and meet. But at a 10 o'clock last night, 7 o'clock Western time, another judge comes out and says, nope, you can't meet. 
So what do you do? These are hard questions, aren't they? I think the answer is real simple. You meet. You meet. Why? Because they're telling us to do something that goes against what God says to do. And we accept the consequences. We say, if you've got to find, you've got to throw me in jail. I get it. This is what you, you do what you think's best. Because you're going to stand before God with the authority that's been given to you. But what we will do is we will serve the Lord. And I think that applies, by the way, to wives in our church if their husbands are saying they can't come to church and they want to come to church. I think those husbands are wielding power they shouldn't be wielding. They're wielding it against God. If a wife wants to come to church, now I'm not saying if you have an immune compromised situation and you want to stay home for security, I'm not saying it's a guilt thing, not doing that. But if a wife wants to come to church, you need to let her come to church. Otherwise, you are wielding your authority and it's going against God. You don't want to be there. There's a time for disobeying authorities in our lives. And it's when the authority contradicts the ultimate authority. Does that make sense? Children, you're going to hear me. If your parents tell you to lie and steal and take something from the, the grocery store, don't do it. Don't do it. Why? Because they're telling you to sin. The ultimate authority is God. By the way, if you think that you children, oh, but my parents sin all the time, so that means I don't have to obey them, you've missed the whole point then. Because they still are your authority. The only time we contradict the authorities in our life is when the authority goes against the ultimate authority. The other times we do it. If they tell us that we have to, we, they, they tell us to meet, but meet six feet apart, I think there's an element where we need to try to achieve that. Try to achieve that. Do you understand? There's things that we can try to accomplish. But we have to be very, very carefully. I, I'm telling you, beloved, we are in for a ride. <laughs> What we are going through right now is just the tip of the iceberg. You know what's so good and, and so encouraging to me and so refreshing to me about this passage? Is it really isn't gray. Do you understand what I mean by that? It's really not that complicated. There's God who is the authority. We do what he says. We do and submit to any authority that he has sovereignly put into our life, and we do that, we submit to them, as long as they don't tell us to do something that goes against what he said. We do it not because the person in authority is worthy of our obedience. We do it because he's worthy of our obedience. We do it because he's the savior of the body. 
and the Lord of the church. Does everybody understand this? Did I get it? Is it very clear? This is what the passage says. This is what the word of God says. Now let's go serve our king. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It is clear. It is not confusing. It gives us hope. It tells us direction. It shows us that Christ is Lord. And we rejoice in the fact that every time in our hearts that we've not wanted to submit to authority, we still have a Savior. <laughs> and if we cry out to you and confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Lord, we pray that you will be first in our hearts and preeminent in our thoughts. That Christ, you will be all in all to us so that we will fulfill all the responsibilities and duties that you have us to do. Lord, we know that Paul wrote while Nero was in charge. Peter wrote while Nero was in charge. Both times talking about an authority that would eventually turn on the Christians and hang them on crosses. Lord, your word did not change. The submission required then is required of us. May we walk in holiness, in wisdom, by your spirit who works within us. May we live in a way that honors you with a full understanding of who you are, that you are sovereign. And Lord, if it comes to the day that we pick you over the government, may we do it boldly, courageously, and yet with respect towards those who are in authority over us. May we take our consequences for your glory and your honor. May we walk out as the apostles did, rejoicing that we were counted worthy to suffer for your namesake. May you be exalted in us today. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus our Savior. Amen.